We're going to turn to God's Word. It's so important in these days that we turn to the Word of God just for a few moments tonight, if we could have your attention, and then I will just pray at the end, and I would just trust the Lord. Let's pray together. Amen. Father, we give you thanks. We settle our hearts before you. Lord, we pray in the name of Jesus that you would speak with the voice that wakes the dead. Lord, we're asking for your anointing. Lord, we pray, we know, Lord, that your purpose in this house tonight is to save, is to set free, is to come, Lord, with your great power. Lord, to speak in the lives, not only to speak, but to save and deliver. So, Lord, we ask that you would have your way tonight. We plead the blood of Jesus over this gathering. Pray against every lie of the enemy in the name of Jesus. Lord, it's your truth that makes us free. So, Lord, have your way tonight. We give you the honor and the praise in Jesus' name. And everyone said it. Amen. Amen. Matthew chapter 13. And uh, we're going to read from verse 36. Matthew chapter 13 and verse 36. I'm going to speak tonight on the final harvest. The final harvest. Matthew chapter 13 and verse 36. Then Jesus sent the multitude away. Went into the house and his disciples came unto him saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares in the field or of the field. And he answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world. And the reapers are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered and burnt in the farm, so shall it be in the end of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels They shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and them which do iniquity and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. And it ends with these words. Who hath ears to hear? Let him hear. In the Gospels, the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, you'll find that the Lord Jesus Christ often told earthly stories to illustrate a great spiritual truth. That's simply called a parable. There are dozens of parables when the Lord Jesus taught went around village after village, he would tell an earthly story that had an eternal truth. Some of those we know very well. Let me test your memory tonight because I would say that most people in this room, I know I asked this a couple of months ago and there was one person out of the whole room had never been to Sunday school. It was Richard. But I would say that most people in this room Went to Sunday school when they were kids. Would that be fair to say? Or went to a children's meeting? You put your, did you go to Sunday school when you are a wee fella or a wee girl? Nearly everybody in this room. 
You went to Sunday school or a kids club of some sort. There might be the odd one or two didn't. So you were taught in Sunday school or those children's clubs the parables of the Lord Jesus Christ. So let me test your memory. See if you can remember. Do you remember the parable about the lost sheep? Many people remember that one. So most hands are going up still. So the lost sheep is very simple. There was a man had 100 sheep. And at night time he was counting in the sheep. And as he counted them in, he realized that there's only 99. How many were missing? You could have mass. There was one missing. Now, right, David? One missing. And so what did he do? He left the 99. What, what happened? The Lord Jesus Christ tells the story of the farmer. He went out into the fields until he found the wee sheep that had gone astray. Here's the spiritual truth in Matthew 18. For the Son of Man has come to save that which is lost. So there was a simple story but a profound spiritual truth that Jesus Christ has come into the world to save those that are lost. And we are all like sheep. We've gone astray. We've turned to our own way. And Jesus has come to save us. What a truth that is. Another one that you may have heard of is the Good Samaritan. Many people have heard about the Good Samaritan. So we were taught these parables. Here's a man on a journey, falls amongst thieves. They come out, they beat him up, they leave him lying. Then the religious person comes, what do they do? Well, religion's no time for people like that. They walk around him, go on. The intellectual person comes, they see him, they walk around him and leave him. And then the Samaritan comes. And he sees this man broken, bruised, bleeding, dying on the Jericho road. We sing the song. And he pours in the oil and the wine. He restores him. He pays the price for him. He puts him in the inn. He looks after him. And this is the story of the Good Samaritan. And the principle of the story begins at the start when the lawyer says to Jesus, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And this is the story of who your neighbor is. And so Jesus begins to tell the story. And it's a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's come into the world to save people that are broken. And are bruised. And he pours in the oil and the wine. The kind that restores our soul. Matthew chapter 13. This parable. Is a profound parable. Parables were often told to talk about the mission of Jesus to save. Sometimes they were told to. Tell us how we're to live our lives as believers in faith and use our talents and what we're to do in faithfulness. And some of the parables are to do with prophetic events. That is, what the end of the world, what will happen at the end of the world. And in this parable, we read that the disciples, it's known as the parable of the tares. It tells us in verse at 10 or verse 36, sorry, that Jesus said to them, sent the multitude away, and the disciples came to him, and they said, Would you declare unto us the parable of the tares? He's already told them this story. We want to know what this means. What I've just read to you, the disciples said, See that particular story that you told us? We're interested to know what's the meaning of the story. The Bible tells us that Jesus actually spoke in parables for a reason. 
In the parables, he said, you'll find the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. He says that he would open his mouth in parables to declare the things that have been uttered from the foundation of the world. So they were interested in this particular parable, the parable of the tares. Now, I'm not a farmer. I'm not from a farming background. But there's in this story, there's wheat and there's tares. And I don't know whether you've seen it, maybe even driving up. I'm not sure even if it's the time of the year, but it should be coming up to it. At this time of the year, you'll see those fields where the wheat is coming up. But you'll not, from a distance, be able to see the difference between the wheat and the tear. But as it comes closer to harvest, there's two things that are different. The first thing is that the wheat begins to bow over. But the tear that is a weed, looks like wheat, it keeps on growing up. It never bows. And there's a principle in this because... The Bible says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so for to be saved, you must bow your knee to Jesus. But the tear will never bow. They stand firm and they grow straight. There's another difference between the two. The seed of wheat is like a yellowy white color, but the seed of a tear is black. Black reminds us of sin. The Bible says all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wheat represent those that are saved, those that are washed in the blood, those that have been supernaturally born again, those that have given their lives to Christ, and the tares represent those that are lost. Two types of people are in this room tonight. Those that are saved those that were lost, those that have been born again, and those that are not born again. And the parable is significant because I want you to listen, because it tells us that there's a harvest day. There's a harvest day. I want you to hear this because Jesus said, if you have ears, then hear what's going to be said. There's a harvest coming, and the harvest is the whole world. It's the field. The whole world is the field. And there's only two types of people in the world. There's wheat and there's tares. I know there's different colors, different tongues, different nations, different tribes. But there's only two types of people in the world. Those that are saved and put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And those that are not saved and refuse to buy and to give their lives to Jesus. Jesus said the harvest, this is important, the harvest, listen very carefully, this is what Jesus said, the harvest is the end of the world. The harvest is the end of the world. Very few people today are thinking about the end. Most people are living as though they're going to live forever. Nobody really considers the end. Years ago in the old movies, the movie always finished with the last page that come up and it said, the end. The modern movies, not that I see any, but the modern movies never have the end on them. Why? 
because most people like the movies think that they're going to live forever. Jesus said that the harvest is the end of the world. Listen to me tonight. There's an end. There's an end to this world. The Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die. And after this, whether you believe this or you don't believe it, it'd be good if you did. But whether you believe it or not, there is an end. And there is an after this. And the harvest is the end of the world. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 3 that there is a time to be born and there is also a time to die. But after this, the Bible says there's a judgment. You see, there is an end. So important that you know this tonight. There is an end. There is an end. The harvest is the end. And there's four things I want to leave with you tonight concerning the end. Number one, the end is sure. Make no mistake about this. The end is sure. When Jesus died on the cross and they put him in a tomb, three days later he rose triumphant over the grave. For 40 days he walked this earth, the risen Christ, he showed the nail-pierced hands and feet to his disciples. He was seen of up to 500 people. And then, in the book of Acts chapter 1, he's about to ascend up into heaven. And here is what the disciples said. Acts 1 and verse 6. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They understand and they understood the divine work of God and the covenants of God. And Jesus said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own power. Why is that important? Because there is a day coming that only the Father God knows that this whole world will come to an end. In Matthew 24 Jesus said these words, verse 36, But of that day and that hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. What's important about that? There is a day appointed that this harvest, the end, will come. And the Father knows that moment. In Matthew 24, the disciples were interested to know when that will be. And they ask the question that maybe someone's asking tonight in their heart. As Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives in Matthew 24 and 3, the disciples came to him and said, Tell us, when shall these things be? What shall be the sign of thy coming? And this is what they asked. And the end of the world. When is the end of the world? Jesus said unto them, and this is important to hear it because you might be shocked to know that we're closer to the end than this world has ever been. He said, take heed, watch, be careful that nobody deceives you. Many shall come in my name saying, I am Christ, and deceive many. That's happening today in this world. 
There are many false religions. There are many faiths. It's a multi-faith society. There are many false Christs. You'll hear of wars, rumors of wars, but see that you're not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, pestilences, earthquakes, in diverse places, and all these things are the beginning of sorrows. Now I want to let you know something tonight concerning Matthew 24 and what we've just read. The period called the beginning of sorrows that leads up to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is important. The period called the beginning of sorrows is not something that we're waiting to start We are already in the period known as the beginning of sorrows. What that means for all of us tonight is that at any moment, the Lord Jesus Christ could come. This is important. The certainty of the end. But number two, what so many people don't expect, that is the suddenness of the end. It's going to happen very quick. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8 says these words, But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that for one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Here's an answer to a question. The question is, why has Jesus not already come? Do you know the reason why Jesus has not already come? Because Jesus wants you to get saved. That's why he hasn't already come. Because he's long-suffering. But then Peter goes on to say these words. But the day of the Lord, this is what he says, so important, will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. The Bible says that the end will come like a thief in the night. Let me ask you a question. If you knew tonight there was a thief going to break into your house or your flat, somebody give you the word on the street, listen, there's a thief about. You know, you see the signs sometimes when you're coming in at the Anna Hilt or Hillsborough, it never reaches Balna Hinch for some reason. But you see that sign that says, be careful, there's a thief at work, make sure you're locking your shed and locking your house and everything else. If you knew there was a thief operating in your area and your house was target number one and it's going to happen tonight, what would you do? You'd stay up all night, wouldn't you? You'd be ready for him, isn't that right? And so here it tells us When we would be so concerned about our earthly things, would you not be concerned about your eternal soul? Would you not be concerned about where you'll spend eternity? Would you not be concerned about life after death? Would you not be concerned about heaven and hell? Would you not be concerned tonight that if Christ was to come in a moment, that you would be lost forever? Does that not concern you? And so we see... The suddenness of the end. But number three is important. Because not only is the end sure, not only is it sudden, 
But number three speaks of something very important. You see, in that field, there's wheat and there's tares. But number three is important. Number three speaks of the separation at the end. Think about it for a moment. Jesus said these words in Matthew 24 and 37. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man For as in the days that were before the flood, remember the flood, remember Noah's ark, it's a true account, remember that there was a warning that the flood would come, the judgment would come, and Noah by faith built an ark to the saving of his family, and everyone thought that he was mad as he preached righteousness to the crowds and said, there's judgment coming, come into the ark, be saved, and everyone mocked him and laughed at him. And friends, when God shut the door in the ark, it was forever too late. And as it was in the days of Noah, they were eating and they were drinking and they were marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark. And knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so also shall it be at the coming of the Son of Man. Now listen, here's the separation. Two will be in the field. One will be taken, but the other's left. Two women will be at the mill. One will be taken, and the other's left. Watch, for you know not what hour your Lord does come. Brothers and sisters and friend tonight that doesn't know the Lord, you have Christian friends. You have a Christian mother. You have maybe a Christian father. You have maybe a Christian work colleague. You may be someone that's pleading with you, giving you gospel tracts and saying, come to the meeting. They're concerned for your soul. They bid you to come. They plead with you to come. But listen, at the end, there's a separation. One will be taken and the other left. Mother and daughter, father and son, brother and sister, work colleague. Just at that moment, there's a separation at the suddenness of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Does it not concern you? Does it not concern you? The Bible says in Matthew 25, verse 31, The Son of Man shall come in His glory, His holy angels with Him. Then shall He sit upon the throne of His glory, and before Him shall be gathered all the nations, and He, Jesus, shall separate them one from another. As a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats, He will set the sheep, that's those who put their trust in Jesus, that's the wheat, on his right hand, but the goats, that's the tares, those that would not buy on the left. There's the surety of his coming. There's the suddenness of his coming. There's the separation at his coming. Finally, and importantly, consider this. What after? What happens after his coming? The eternal destiny of your soul the most precious thing that you have tonight is your soul, your eternal soul. It's not your car. It's not your house. It's not your favorite pair of Nikes. It's not what good you might have in the house or your hi-fi or stereo or your new phone. It's not your gadgets. The most precious thing that a man or a woman has is their eternal soul, and their soul will go somewhere in eternity. Daniel chapter 12, as he prophesied, said these words concerning the days in which we are now living. 
And at that time shall Michael stand up the great prince that standeth for the children of thy people. There shall be a time of trouble since as never was there a nation even to that same time. In other words, days would come like we've never seen before. You talk to most of the older people, they tell us and they say, we have never seen days like this before. We have never lived in days like these days. These days have changed. They note that there's a day of trouble. This is the day of trouble that Daniel talks of. It says that there was never trouble like this or a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that time. And at that time, thy people shall be delivered, everyone that shall be found. Now listen, it's important. Everyone that's found written in the book. They're written in the book. Many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake and listen, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. You see, there's a great awakening. In Revelation chapter 20, the final couple of chapters in Revelation closes out with the final scene of the ages. Revelation 20 verse 11 says, I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was no place for them. I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God and the books are opened and another book was opened and Daniel talked about this book. He called it the book of life. The dead were judged out of those things that were written in the books according to their works. Can I tell you something tonight? Listen, you might, you might beat the cops. You might beat everyone. You might be, you might be clever. You might get around everything and everyone. But let me tell you something. You'll not get around God. No, no. You'll not dupe God on judgment day. You see, all the accounts you're not saved are in God's book. They're in God's book. God knows them all. And you're judged according to your deeds, what you've done. Let me tell you something, friend, tonight. If you're in this room, listen to me. I thank God that the day and the hour that God saved me, all the deeds that I've done have been washed away in the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the power of the new birth. And so they're judged out of those things that are written in the books according to their works. The sea will give up their dead that are in it. Death and hell will deliver up the dead which are in them. And they were judged, every man, according to their works. And death and hell are cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And listen, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life. This is the most important thing you'll ever hear. You may not think it, but if your name's not in the book of life, they're cast in to a lake of fire. That's a place called hell. Ah, oh, we don't believe that stuff. You still believe that? We're, we're past all that. Don't be deceived. God's not mocked. 
I've heard that for years. That was for me when I was a kid. No, no. It's for you to save your eternal soul. We're living in the last days. We're living in the final moments of time. There's a trouble on the earth. It's the beginning of sorrows. Christ is about to come. The end is sure. The harvest is coming. Are you ready to meet God? The Bible says at that harvest day, the Son of Man shall send forth His angels. They shall gather out of His kingdom all things that offend and that which do iniquity, and shall cast them into the furnace of fire. They'll be weeping and they'll be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Revelation chapter 14, I'm closing just in a few moments, but Revelation 14 speaks of four angels in Revelation 14. And this picture of these angels basically displays to us the parable of the tares, but also presents to us the time that we have come to and the scene of time as we approach the final, the end. What's about to happen Listen, not one person in this room are able to say, I did not know. Not one person. Speaks of four angels. What's happening? You see this vision in the heavenly in Revelation chapter 14, verse 6. An angel was in the midst of heaven. Remember, the angels are involved in the harvest. And the angel had the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell in the earth, to every nation, to every kindred, to every tongue, and to every people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God, give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment is come. Worship Him that made heaven, earth, and the sea, and the fountains of the waters. This is the everlasting gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ preached across the globe today by the grace of God in every language of the world. The gospel of Jesus Christ and the judgment day is coming and the angel hurls it across heaven. That's what happens. There followed another angel saying, Babylon has fallen, has fallen, that great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Babylon is an antichrist world, a world that hates Christ. It's a joining up of politics, of financial institutions, of all the social uh, uh, works and all the environmental people and all the gatherings of all the peoples of the world against the Lord Jesus Christ and his people. That's Babylon, but Babylon's going to fail. It's going to fall. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast in his image and receive his mark in his forehead or his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out with a mixture into the cup of his indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. What's that mean? I mean, Tim, what does that mean? I don't even understand Revelation. What are you talking about? Talks about a mark. Talks about a mark of a beast. You know, some people find it funny. Some people think that they're going to live forever. Some people think that we're just all going to be here and everything's fine and everybody goes to heaven. That's not the truth. Because Jesus didn't say that. It's not the truth. And so listen carefully. You see the mark of the beast. You know, we're being groomed, every one of us, for the mark. Many people in this room has a mobile phone. I would say everybody's a mobile phone. Very few that don't. 
Only Brian Annett's the only person I know that doesn't have a mobile phone. He's the wisest man among us. But you see, aren't we getting so clever? Because we can't leave the house without our mobile phone. We needed to pay for stuff. We needed to check our bank account. We needed to go here. We needed to go there. We need... And I know that the purpose originally is just that someone can get you on the phone or send you a text. But it's so much more now. What's happening? We're moving very very, very near, and it's it's already here. Unless you don't know this, but it's already here. They're already designing the chip to make it really easy for you that instead of having chip and pin, you've got a bank card, right? Contact us. So easy, isn't it? Just have to have money in the bank. That's the problem. But they're making it easy for you. What they're about to do is introduce something even better. We're going to put a wee chip, a wee mark, just between your finger and your thumb. It's already... All the technology's there. It's already happening in Sweden, America, and other parts of the world. It's happening even in England. That will just put a wee chip right in between your finger and your thumb. You won't have to worry about a thing. That chip gets you access through doors. That chip gets you access. You know what you're going to be able to do very soon? That chip will start your car. So when you get in, it's keyless. And once it identifies the chip, that's going to beat the joyriders. Because they won't have your chip. Chip's going to do everything. It's going to be so easy. And know what we're going to do? We're going to fall for it. It's called the mark of the beast. Years ago, we thought it was crazy. I can remember teachers teaching us years ago, thinking these men, they're from, this is out of Star Wars. No, no, this is reality. This is what's happening. Then it says, another angel flies in the midst of heaven. It says, fear God, give glory to him. And here in the presence of the saints, sorry, verse 12. It says, here they that kept the commandments of the Lord, the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I looked and heard a voice from heaven saying, right blessed are the dead which die on the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works to follow them. Then he says these words. These are the final words. Just a few minutes and I'm closed. Remember the angels are crucial in the harvest. Verse 14 says, And I looked and behold a white cloud. And upon the cloud sat one like the Son of Man. This is Jesus Christ. Having on his head a golden crown. Having in his hand a sharp sickle. Do you know what a sickle is? It's an old-fashioned instrument. It's a large hook that the old, in the olden days they'd use that for cutting down the harvest. And here's Jesus with a sharp sickle and the angel come out of the temple crying with a loud voice. Can I tell you something tonight? I believe that this angel's voice is about to be declared all across the heavens. Thrust in your sickle and reap. For the time has come for thee to reap. For the harvest of the earth, the end of the earth, the end of the world is ripe. And he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle in the earth and the earth was reaped. There's another reaping just after that, verses 17 to 19. That reaping is the reaping of the wheat. That's represented in the grain. The next one, at the same time or simultaneously, is the reaping of the grapes. Mention the grapes. 
And that represents the tears and the wrath of God is poured out on this world. The harvest is the end of the world. That's what the harvest is. The harvest is the end of the world. Are you ready? Are you ready? If the harvest or the end was tonight, are you ready? You see, the tares that stood strong and grew tall, see at the end, they're going to bow down. There's no one too big, no one too hard, no one too strong, but in the end, every kneel by and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Are you concerned for your soul? Does it, does it concern you? Are you concerned where you'll spend eternity? If Christ was not to come tonight, but if Christ was to call, it's appointed unto man once to die, and after this the judgment. The grave is not the end. Friend, the grave is not. Does it concern you? Are you concerned about where you'll spend eternity? Are you concerned for your soul? Are you concerned where you'll go? Or have you been deceived? If you've got an ear, you're going to hear. And God's speaking to your heart tonight. You're concerned for your soul. Before you go out those doors, you mean it. You're serious about it. You'll get right with God. You'll get right with God. This is no joke, friends. This is reality. There's not one person in this room will have an excuse. Because if you haven't heard it before, you've heard the truth tonight. And it's the truth that will save you. If you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Turn to him tonight. We pray in Jesus' name. Let's pray together.